Have you heard the expression to go nuclear in an argument? Perhaps there's, perhaps there's a point in an argument where you know that the only thing to do is to throw that final thing at it. And you know that once you've thrown that final thing at it, that, that's nothing else to be said. Yeah? And, and, and Paul, in some ways, is throwing this at them right now. He's going nuclear. He's saying, For I received from the Lord. The whole instruction of the Lord's Supper is from the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive from the Lord. This means that neither the Corinthians then or us now have any right to mess around with the Lord's Supper. And that's either mess around with how it is done or mess around in our attitude towards it. Can you imagine how the Corinthians must be feeling now that their, 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 their sin and their wickedness has been pointed out? And then Paul is just saying to them, look, this is how Christ wants you to do it. This is, this is Christ that brought this to you. I, I'm just the messenger. I, I delivered to you. This was received. And whether the Apostle Paul received this through a special revelation or whether the Apostle Paul received this through what we have recorded for us in the Gospels, it doesn't really matter. What we know is it was from the Lord. And what we know is the Apostle Paul is just passing on to them. It's not something Paul made up. Paul didn't dream up the idea of the Lord's Supper. He didn't think, hmm, this would be a good way for us as a church to remember the Lord's death and resurrection till he comes again. This would be a really neat idea. No, it wasn't Paul's idea. It's not even a tradition of the church. We're told that it is a tradition, but it's not. It was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and it's for the church. Jesus started this. That's why we read one of the gospel accounts of how it came about. Jesus was preparing his disciples for life without them. He was in the upper room. If you go to the, the gospel of John, there's that beautiful discourse of Jesus preparing his disciples. And he's washed their feet. And, and, and they've gone up there to this upper room to celebrate the Passover. And in all the passages, it often says that Jesus was about to be betrayed. There's this big, dark shadow over the Passover feast that they're about to share together. And the Old Testament Passover feast was a feast of memorial, a feast of remembering, a feast of remembering the meal that they had before God saved them from slavery. And this, in this sense, the Passover is getting an upgrade. Because it was Jesus there on the evening before he was crucified. And in that evening, he's thinking, these people are going to struggle. These people are going to forget. These people won't have enough bits of string to tie around their fingers to remember. They're going, what are we meant to be remembering? This is what it's about. And so he wants them to remember this important central truth of the gospel, the good news, the truth. And so he changes the Passover to the Lord's Supper. And, and the Lord's Supper is for the whole church of God. And it was so that they wouldn't forget what he had done for them. And I'd like us to, to read a part of that passage. And it should come up on, on the screen here. And I want you to, to, to notice the highlight of the words, me, my, and you. And also there in the yellow, the he. This is 
my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This subheading is me, my, and you. And it wants us to see this emphasis. And I hope you saw that emphasis as, as you saw that passage. Maybe if you can just take those and just go back to that, that first there. I think it's just helpful for us to, to see it there. Jesus is wanting the disciples to remember that he is for them. Or he is for us. This is my body. It's Jesus' body. But it is for you. And what are we doing? We are remembering Jesus. We are to remember him. And, and while this Lord's Supper is all about us partaking in Jesus and remembering Jesus, it is all about Jesus himself. And, and so we have been woven into this. But the star character, the main person, is Jesus. And what Jesus has done. And what Jesus, well in that situation, what Jesus was about to do. Because he hadn't done it yet. But as we look back on it, it's about what Jesus has done for us. And as our brother Scott was saying to the children. He, he was saying, look, this is the bread. And, and the bread's broken. And this is my body. And so there's this picture language and this remembering that Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to this world as a man, and as a man, his body was broken. And, and, and as we take that, as the disciples were to take it, they were to remember what Jesus had done for them, how he left heaven, how he come as a human, as he was in human form, as he was man and God together in that remarkable way that we do not understand. And as his body was given up, and as he was broken for us. And in the same way, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And, and, and the, the red juice, and the children argue, what sort of juice was it? It doesn't really matter. But it certainly was red. And it certainly gave the, the, the symbol of blood. And, and Christ's blood was, was, was shed for the sins of his people. Christ's blood was given up. A sacrifice had to be made. The, the Old Testament covenant, the old uh, Passover feast was, was remembering that a, a lamb had to be killed and the blood was put on the doorpost until the angel would, would pass over. And, and Jesus' blood was shed for his people so the wrath of God would pass over them. And the wrath of God fell upon Jesus himself as his body was broken and as his blood was shed and as he gave up his life, Jesus atoned for us. I think the great parallel to, to this in the scriptures, explain the scriptures, is there in Revelation 5. 
And we read of the, the scroll needing to be opened and no one could open the scroll. And then the victorious Lion of Judah is the one that's going to open the scroll. And as John looks around for this triumphant Lion of Judah, what does he see? He sees a lamb that's been slaughtered. A lamb that's been slain. And is, is explained, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every people and every nation. And right there we see this act that Christ was doing was for unity and it was for fellowship and it was for bringing people from every tribe and every language together. And we see this in what Jesus was doing for us. And Jesus is at the center of what was going on. But as Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper, thirdly in this section, we see that Jesus is to be remembered by us. Scott confessed to having a memory that's challenged at times, and I, I make the same confession. And uh, some of you will, will know that confession when I look at you and I'm desperately trying to find a name somewhere in here. And it's just not coming forward. And I'm embarrassed. Or, or maybe you come up to me two weeks later and say, Pastor James, where is that book you said you were going to bring me? And you see that embarrassed smile and you know that it didn't make it. And then you ask me, Rachel, whose memory is a bit better than mine. The Lord's Supper was instituted to keep us from forgetting what is most important. And, and, and the symbols help. Uh, we, we mentioned that already, and Scott mentioned it in, in the children's talk, that the bread is reminding us that Jesus gave up his human body to be broken for us. He physically took the wages of sin upon himself, which is death. God who could not experience death, his human body experienced death. Isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that incredible? That God incarnate died. And God incarnate died, and this God incarnate, Jesus Christ the man, never sinned, and he never sinned as a man. He didn't deserve the wages of sin, but he took them on himself to atone us, to pay the price for us. And, and the wine there is to remind us of the, the, the new covenant. The old one required the blood of lambs. And in Exodus 24, when we read of, of some of the things that were going on, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, the book of the promise, the book of the law, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, the other part of the blood, and threw it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, according to these words. See, these people making a covenant, making a promise, and saying, we're going to keep God's word, we're going to keep God's law, and they couldn't. And all that the law would do was condemn them. 
And there was provision made of the, the sacrifice of an animal to, to atone for them. And, and the sins of the people were symbolically put upon them. And all that I was doing was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of his people. The sacrifice of the animals couldn't save, but it could point forward to the new covenant. And the new covenant is here. And you see this new covenant that's been given to the disciples in it, given to us here now. It's not for us to hide away in our hearts. But we're reminded, and we're reminded of the body, and we're reminded of the blood, and we're reminded of these things so that we can proclaim the truth. I find it interesting that there's a two remindings and then there's a proclaiming. And I think that's how much we need reminding. We need to dwell on these things. We need to drink on these things. We need to think on what Christ has done for us. And, and then that will help us and enable us in our evangelism. Maybe you struggle to evangelize. Maybe you struggle to talk to others about Jesus. I'm not going to say go and do it more. I'm going to say go back to remembering what Christ has done for you. And I believe from this passage what happens if we truly remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and if we fall afresh in love with the magnitude of the price that was paid for our sins, if we sit in wonder of what God has done for us, then the only reaction that we will have is to be able to proclaim, is to be able to share. It will just flow out naturally. You see, that the fourth part of this is Jesus is to be proclaimed by us. It's there, isn't it? And he says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's a sense that when we partake in the Lord's Supper, when we are there around the elements, where the, when the bread and the wine are there in front of us, when we share it together as a local church, we proclaim this truth. And, and, and local churches uh, do the Lord's Supper in different ways. And I think next week I may mention a little bit more about that, and a little bit more about why we do it the way we do it here. But wherever it's done publicly, when there are non-believers around witnessing, there's a special sense in which we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection until he comes again. But whether this is conducted in the presence of non-believers or in the separation from them, it should remind us of the truth. And it should remind us that this truth needs proclaiming. You see, it's not just about reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. The Lord's Supper is to remind us to tell others and proclaim others because there is a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. It is going to happen. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But on that day, the nations will be separated. And the picture languages of the sheep and the goats and as you may have seen the shepherds of Cyprus walking around with the sheep and the goats all together, on that day, that picture language of the sheep will go one way and the goats will go the other. 
The redeemed of God. Those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for their sins forgiven. Those whose sins were laid upon the sacrificial lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be with God for eternity. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. They'll be rejoicing. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no separation. All the things of this world that haunt us through sin will be dissipated and dealt with and gone away. And we'll bask in the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those who are doing their own thing, for those who never looked to Christ as their Savior, eternity is eternity of torment and all the wrath of God portion to their sins will be poured out upon them and as we take communion we are to remember that that moment is coming and as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior we should be moved with compassion to want to proclaim and tell others there is a way. There is a way back to God from the dark parts of sin. There is a way that broken, messed up, sinful people who merely feel they're too bad for God can be brought back to God. Because no one's sins are greater than the blood that was shed on Calvary. Nobody is beyond God's grace today. There is time, and now is the time to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And friend, if you haven't done that, now is the time to do it. Because when we celebrate communion, we say until the Lord Jesus Christ return, and he's going to return. And if you leave it till that moment, it will be too late. And if you leave it till that moment, one of the things that will haunt you for eternity is this moment. Because you will say, if only I had repented. Now is the time to call upon the Lord. As we celebrate communion, as we share communion together, we do it in this sense of getting it right is past, present and future. A fifth subheading is past, present and future. We remember the past in the present as we look forward to the future. We remember the past of what Christ did for us in Calvary. And if you like, we can go further back and think before time began that there it really happened because we, friends, have been loved with an everlasting love. A love that had no beginning. A love that sent God's only Son to this earth to die on the cross for the sins of his people. Our past is what gives us a present. And then the present is what we do now and we need to be reminded. And so as we gather around the elements, as we gather around the Lord's Supper, we remember that we have something to do now. And we look forward. We look forward to what our blood has brought. Don't be seduced into the lie that salvation is so you can have your best life now. No. You, this life is never going to be particularly special because in this earth, this earth is marred by sin. What we have to look forward to is when the Lord returns again and all this mess will be sorted out. And, and the effects of our blood-bought salvation will be for all eternity. And that happens when the Lord comes again. 
And as this letter was read to the Corinthians, I, I like to think that they were getting a sense of these things. I like to think as the Holy Spirit worked in their lives, they were thinking, this is amazing, this is great, this is the truth. But I also thought that they were thinking, when they got to the end of this description of how to do the Lord's Supper, they must have thought to themselves, how stupid can we be? How insensitive could we be? And then maybe those wealthy people were thinking, if only I had not done that. Shame on me. And maybe those people that arrived later, and we could say, well, they're the victim. Yes, they're the victim of that. But in being a victim, they probably were thinking how awful those rich people were. There's probably bad blood between them. There probably was a bad sentiment, unless they're extremely, extremely gracious. And I think I want to suggest that there was no totally innocent party in Corinth regarding this matter. That there may have been some more responsible because of the wealth and what they did, but because of Paul's language to the whole church, because of the corporate nature of this event, and because of knowing human nature, knowing how the marginalized can quite easily get the wrong attitude to others. I think they all would have been sat after this, thinking, if only I hadn't. That's what the English people would be thinking. Perhaps, perhaps a different culture would be thinking, I can go forward and do better. The reality is that the Lord's Supper should be the tonic, that should be the medicine, it should be what pulls the local church together in unity. And the tragedy was back then, it was the very thing that was separating the church. Don Carson in his book, Love in Hard Places, says it like this, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of the sort. Christians come together because they've been saved by Jesus and owe him a common allegiance. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Now, I don't like to think of us as natural enemies. <laughs> but we have our challenges, don't we? And what we have is this opportunity through the blood of Christ is to love one another for Jesus' sake. You see, the Lord's Supper should remind us of our unity in Christ and not exacerbate our diversity in the world. And for this, in our setting, this could be a huge and great challenge. It can be a big challenge for us because we are such a diverse lot. We just look around and we see diversity. There's continents represented here. There's different languages, different tribes within different nationalities. It's all different. There's different eco-socionomical classes. There's so much diversity here. Uh, and and we, can, we can ask the question and demand the questions, how can we get things right? I hope you're asking that question. 
I hope you're saying, how can we get this right at LPC? So God willing, next week we're going to explore the last point, which is how to get things done right. And for those of you that are members, God willing, next week we'll also be able to celebrate and come round the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what Jesus has done so that we can be brought into that family. Oh Lord God, we confess that sometimes we treat each other like enemies and that's shame on us. Forgive us. Forgive us for when we put barriers in the way of our fellowship and unity. Forgive us for when those barriers and and, and things that get in the way are just so naturally ourselves we don't even realise they're there. Oh Lord God, may we see the wrong in our lives and may you forgive us through the blood of Christ and may you draw us to one another for Jesus' sake. And Heavenly Father, for any here this morning that do not yet know you, as we've been thinking of that Lord's Supper and reminded that we do this until the Lord comes again, we pray that those who don't know you will come to know you before it's too late. And may they take that call seriously now. And may they come to know you as their Saviour right now. May the Holy Spirit work in their lives and show them their need. And may they call upon your name. And we know from your word that they will be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.